0: Hi folks, welcome to the Bible Project daily podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join me here today on this amazing journey through the Bible, the Word of God. And we're well into the Gospel of Matthew at the moment, but I'd just say before we jump back into the text where we left off last time, maybe if you're here for the first day, why not consider hitting that subscribe button so that you too can make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. So it's great to have you with me today and we'll launch off in a moment but hang on at the back end and I'll just give you a little bit more information and update you on a few things. Bye for now. Okay friends we're picking up today at Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 and we're progressing our way through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been addressing on how the Pharisees have been interpreting the Old Testament commandments and the law of Moses and really twisting and perverting them and today we've arrived at this point where Jesus is telling us to love our enemies. Now one of the most difficult Commandments in all of the Bible is probably this one the requirement that as Christian believers, Jesus says we are to love our enemies. Now, in the 19th century, military general and Spanish Prime Minister Alvarez del Toledo, well, he was on his deathbed, and the story is that a priest came to him and said, I quote, Does your excellency forgive all your enemies? And he replied, I do not have to forgive my enemies, for I have killed them all. At a similar point in time, no less than the famous philosopher Immanuel Kant, he dismissed these words of Jesus as almost absurd. And in truth, that sentiment probably comes closer to the way most people feel about this commandment most of the time. The original commandment was put, but then Jesus comes along and says that we are to love our enemies. And even when you feel like harming them, we must make the decision to bless them instead. Now that's not an easy call, is it? So how exactly do we and can we do that? How can we truly love our enemies the way Jesus says we should? Well I want for us together to look at this passage over the next couple of days where Jesus does in fact say that about loving your enemies because in it he not only commands us to do it but he will tell us how to do it as well. So that's going to be helpful isn't it particularly if you struggle with unforgiveness. So with that in mind turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and I'm going to begin by reading it. Verse 43, and I'm going to read the five verses that cover this, and then we'll do what I always do, which is we'll come back to it again and we'll go through it verse by verse. So, this is what it says, and remember, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now this message has been called by some the central and most famous section in all of the Sermon on the Mount. Another has said there is no passage in the New Testament that contains such a consecrated expression of the Christian ethic of interpersonal relationships as the one that is described here. I think we can all recognise that this is indeed one of the high points of spirituality in all of the scriptures and other passages, although they are good and powerful, they are a bit like Ben Nevis compared to this which is the Mount Everest of the Bible. The command that you are to love your enemies is an incredible one, but the great question is, even if we want to do that, how do we do that? How are we able to do that? Well, here's my purpose. I want us to look over the next Two days, the next two episodes, I'd like us first of all to look at the command to love your enemy, and then I'd like for us to look at how Jesus clarifies and teaches on that command. As a matter of fact, throughout this passage, this is precisely what he is doing over and over again with each section, looking at an Old Testament commandment and then looking at how the Pharisees have misinterpreted it and offering a clarification and a a correct interpretation of it. And we can signify each section or each area he's looking at because he begins each of them with this phrase, you have heard that it is said. And then he says, but I say unto you, and he gives the clarification. So what he's doing is he's contrasting what the Old Testament says, yeah, but more what the Pharisees said about what the Old Testament said. When we study this passage, we try to find out what Jesus is really saying and what he is demanding of his followers. That's the purpose today, in the light of the commandment. However, if we are going to try and live this commandment out in our everyday lives, we must first of all be quite clear as to what it is actually asking us to do and what does Jesus mean when he talks about loving our enemies. So, Jesus is clarifying what real righteousness should look like. And in doing that, we look at his clarification of the Pharisaic teaching. And then we'll try and draw some conclusions. So let's begin by looking at the commandment and returning again. And he says, this is how it starts. He says in verse 43, You have heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Now, as we've gone through this passage, I've pointed out again and again. All the way, in fact, through Matthew chapter 5, he introduces each section. He doesn't say, you have seen that it was written. He says, you have heard it said. That's important. So again here, he's not talking about the law of Moses directly. He's talking about what the Pharisees said about law of Moses. So let's look at the command in the original context and begin by looking at the, what the Old Testament itself actually said. Now the Old Testament does record the first part of this verse 43. As a matter of fact, it's a quote from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 where it says, well let me quote that whole verse for you. It actually says, "Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself." So the Old Testament does say in fact that we are, yes it's true, we are to love our neighbor. But the latter part of what the Pharisees taught about hating your enemies, that's nowhere to be found anywhere in the Old Testament law. So let's be clear about this. The Old Testament said you should love your neighbour, but it says no more than that, and it certainly says nothing about hating other people or your enemies. So Jesus here is attempting to clarify this Pharisaic trickery that's going on and what they have done with this commandment. The Pharisees are the ones who have added and hate your enemies to it. In other words, they're going way beyond what Leviticus 19 verse 18 taught. They went way beyond even the basic law of Moses. And they concluded, yeah, what we're going to do is say you should love your neighbours. But in fact, you're allowed to hate anyone who isn't your neighbour. So how did they get to that point? Well, I read around that and really one commentator summed it up this way and said this. Well, quite simply, they just invented it. They didn't get it from anywhere. They didn't get it out of the Old Testament. They just pulled it out of thin air. They focused on part of the Leviticus 19 verse 18 phrase and they twisted it. In other words, technically it's true Leviticus is saying that we should not bear a grudge because elsewhere in in the book of Leviticus it tells the people not to bear grudges against fellow Israelites. And it later says, of course, Here that you should love your neighbor as yourself but what apparently the pharisees do with this is they focus on that the your people bit and said well all you have to do is love your fellow israelites which means you're free you can hate anybody else isn't that a really mischievous interpretation of this old testament commandment they're just twisting their scriptures to suit their sinful purposes and their sinful nature So the question for them came down to, well, if we're to love our neighbours, who is our neighbours? How narrowly can we define this? What they tried to do was get to a point where you could say, who was your neighbour and how limited that responsibility was so that you were free and not bound to show love to anybody else. They played with the little word neighbours and they started with the fact that the word neighbour meant someone that was near to you. They then tried to define how near is near is near across the street? Does near go across the whole town, across the country? Does near apply to those who lie on the other side of the sea? Where do you draw the line? Well, not surprisingly, they decided that the answer to that question was a neighbor was someone who was physically close to you or who was directly uh, related to you by family. And they realized that people who were not near who were not geographically close or who they weren't related to, were in fact not their neighbors and thereby they could not only be free of the responsibility to love them, but they were free to hate them and make them enemies if they wished. In other words, they divided themselves from all other people and they attempted to twist the simple commandment to love your neighbor into the idea that you could in fact hate your enemy. You could hate anyone that you decided was not your neighbor. And it is this, well, I'll use the word, this deception that Jesus is speaking against here, which is why he says, you have heard it said, you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But look at what he says when he responds. But I tell you, verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So the first thing we need to do, clearly, we're being told to love our neighbors, not to hate them, but we need to focus on the word love. Now, I'm sure for some of you, this is not going to be new, but it bears some review because you see in the New Testament, there are four Greek words used to describe and give a meaning to the term, which is often translated to us just simply as love. Now, the first word, is storge. Now, storge is the word that means the love that exists within a family, the love you would have for your mum or dad or a father or mother would have for their children. So, storge is the love of a family. The second type of love is eros. And eros is a passion, a passionate love, which usually involved a sexual relationship between two people. And the third, a third type is filial. Now, philia was a warm, tender affection, like the love between two close friends. But the fourth word, the word that is being used here, is the word that is known as agape love. One definition I read very helpfully described agape as a consistent, incomparable goodwill towards someone else. You see, agape love is a decision to choose to love, to choose to do what is best for the other person. Agape is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not even absolutely necessary to like someone before you show this type of love to them. This type of love Jesus is talking about here is about making a choice to love someone else by doing what is best for the other person. In agape love, we always seek the highest good for the other person at all times. Now, in the extreme, it may sometimes mean choosing to sort of be firm and even discipline another person, but only if that's what's best for them. You can never take this line of tough love out of any motivations or revenge or wanting to get even. You may only do it in the margins when it's absolutely the best thing for the other person. You see, agape love is always a choice. We have to choose to do it. Now I think this is critical, this is critically important because people who exercise agape love will not and are not allowed to allow insult, injury or even resentment or bitterness against them, prevent them from still seeking the other person's highest good. I repeat this one more time. The people who exercise agape love do not allow insult or injury, resentment or bitterness to prevent them from seeking the highest good for the other person. The motivation should be to lift that other person up and bring them nearer to God himself. So how do we and are we able to make that choice? What is involved here? What are the particulars? What will it look like Jesus has simply told us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. But how are we enabled to do that? It has been noted by some that at this point, Jesus is laying down this type of love and this attitude of love as the basis for all our personal relationships. Now people sometimes just use this passage as a basis to preach about pacifism. And of course, it includes having the attitude of always seeking peace between people or even between groups of people. But first and foremost, it is meant to deal with our personal relationships, with our family and our neighbours and the fact of the everyday people we meet in everyday life. It is a commandment of how to live and communicate with everyone around us that we come into meeting with. Please note, there's three things you can do. Jesus gives you three specific things you can do to demonstrate this type of love. This is Jesus' explanation of the three ways we can fulfill the command to love our enemies. And number ones he tells us that we can bless them. Now the Apostle Paul picked up on this idea many times across his teaching probably the main illustration of it is found in the 12th chapter of Romans where he actually says that the ultimate test of living the Christian life is that when you are cursed and when people are ill disposed against you that you remain a loving person that in return blesses them in return for that ill will the exact nuance of the word that is translated bless here and in the writings of Paul is not about returning a blessing of the blessing but blessing those who are against you and those who actually curse you. So firstly we can bless people and the second thing it does is tell us to do good to those who hate us. So it goes above and beyond just returning a blessing. Because notice it's saying, even if they hate you or are trying to harm you, yes, speak a blessing back in return, but do good also. The book of Proverbs tells us in chapter 25, verse 21, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. So when I'm saying that Christian love is doing what is best for the other person, there are specifics, things that you can do practically. If that person has a need, then you can meet it. Then you should meet it. And then, Jesus is teaching here, you should do that and go one step further. So we are to love our enemies by firstly speaking blessing upon them, but at the same time going above and beyond and doing something good for them something that meets a need for them. But there's a third thing we can do, this passage teaches, and it says we can pray for them. Now, the words used in the text to describe the people who are referred to as being ill-disposed towards us, if you like, is the word spiteful. Now, the Greek word translated spitefully, I'm told by Bible experts, actually means people who threaten and abuse you it's always referring in some way to people using speech against you so if someone is seen to be abusing you verbally this is the sort of spiteful persecution that is talking about here it will nearly always involve yes something they do but also the added nuances of this word says that the spitefulness will usually also involve lies or hostile speech about you And what you are to do, we are told here by Jesus, wow, it's to pray for that person. Now maybe they don't know the Lord, in which case the prayer should be that the Lord should reveal himself to them, save them, and then an enemy can be changed into a friend. And if they are a believer, well then we are repeatedly told throughout the Old Testament that like the Apostle Paul, we are to pray for our enemies and then those as fellow believers might truly become our brothers, sisters and friends. Pray that they might have insight into the, the word of God and that through that, that would allow the spirit of God to give them understanding of the will of God. Understand the will of God in their interactions with you and other people and that they too would be given the grace to live it. I once read a story of a man who kept a small black book in which he placed all the names of the people who wronged them, but not so that he could seek revenge, but so that he could remember to pray for them. And on the next page, he kept another list of names of those people he himself had wronged so that he could remember to pay for them also. I think we all to an extent keep mental lists of all those people that have hurt us and wronged us in some way you know maybe the best way to get rid of that mental list of enemies is to transpose it and make it a prayer list and do as Jesus did which is pray for our enemies because then we are the first step to really loving our enemies So there you go. There are three ways Jesus is teaching us here. He tells us to bless those people who persecute us, to bless them and then do good for them and also to pray for them. So having given us these instructions, Jesus is now going to give us reasons why we should do this and also illustrate for us the benefits of choosing to live our lives in this way. And we look at that in the next episode. Okay, friends, I do hope you find that helpful. Uh, We'll crack on and close off this section tomorrow, looking at how we can truly love our enemies. Now, this podcast, no matter where you're getting it from, the actual podcast is hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprite.com website. That's the host that hosts the podcast. It's also the place where you will find a transcript of each and every one of the talks that I give. Always there, always freely available, always in the public domain, for you to use in whatever way you want, copyright free. Also within the episode notes page, there will be links to ways in which you can connect with my ministry. Places like my YouTube channel, where the long-term audio archive is kept and will be categorized according to book and to theme, so you don't have to scroll back through hundreds, maybe one day, Lord willing, thousands of episodes to find teaching on a particular area, but also places like LinkedIn and Patreon, where I put my more formal, structured, Bible study, discipleship type courses. I'm currently posting on there week by week a series of 12, 30 minute videos to try and help and equip Christians who don't have access to it on some teaching on how to prepare sermons. So if you'd like to connect more with my ministry or even partner with it in some way, you'll find all the links there. But you know what? We'll sign off there today by me just finally saying... Thank you so much for joining me. It's a real blessing to know that there are so many thousands of you out there who have made the decision to make the Bible Project Daily Podcast part of the rhythm of your daily life, studying the Word of God every day, Monday to Friday, and then a compilation episode once every couple of weeks as well. So thank you again. I do hope to see you back here again tomorrow or whatever day it happens to be for you on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.